and the U.S. military and this entire incident took place over a period of 60 days. They issued new red night vision goggles to seen and die and they were image enhancement. And at first the troops liked them, but then strange things started to happen. The troops began fighting with each other. They became quarrelsome. They were constantly fixated on staring at treetops. Then the pivotal incident, according to Mr. High, his dad was with um, a couple helicopters, squadron helicopters. The officers and the pilots, according to High, were under strict orders not to wear these red vision goggles, only the gunners. So there they are, they're flying at night over an area that was peaceful. So they were not in a war zone and suddenly one of the gunners opened fire. Welcome back. I'm here with Mark Anthony, psychic medium, the psychic lawyer. Today, we're going to talk about something that is rather fascinating story from Vietnam, red light demons. So, Mark, how on earth did you learn about this story? I'm a paranormal expert, and I delve into ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomenon, in addition to my work as a near-death experience researcher and a psychic medium. That's why I'm known as the psychic explorer and the psychic lawyer. And so I'm asked to be on a number of programs to comment upon unusual phenomena. And I was asked by initially Dave Schrader to talk about the red light demons, which is a story that emanates from Vietnam. And then, of course, Coast to Coast AM wanted me to talk about this and other shows Mm -hmm. like this one, because it is a really fascinating topic. And even if it's apocryphal, even if it's an urban legend, the basis of the story opens up a whole nother field for those of us to investigate and explore the paranormal. There's an interesting short story back from like the 1800s. It's called The Damned Thing. It's by Ambrose Bierce. Now, for folks who don't know who Ambrose Bierce is, he's a very colorful personality. He's a journalist. He was a writer. He's fought in the Civil War. And he disappeared in Mexico following Pancho Villa. But in that story, The Damned Thing, it was about a creature that was unseen because it was not within the visible light spectrum. So even back in the 1800s, people are speculating about things in the unseen world that could be described as having a color that was unobservable by human eyes. I totally agree with you. And it actually extends thousands of years. I mean, all through history, Sean, there have been these demonic gargoyle-like human-animal hybrids. Look at the pantheon of ancient Egyptian religion. You have hippopotamus Mm -hmm. gods, crocodile gods, Hinduism. You have these hybrid gods, Greek and Roman mythology. You've got human-animal hybrids like centaurs, mermaids, satyrs, the god Pan. And we all know Pan. He's got the goat legs, and he's got the horns, and he's half human, half goat, and he plays the little flute. And the thing is, he looks very much like what we would call a gargoyle. And these type of entities have been identified in pretty much every culture. I mean, I've been all over the world. The Hawaiians call them the Metahune, the Japanese, the Kami, 
In Europe, you have sprites, elves, pixies, fairies, leprechauns. And gargoyle comes from a French word, gargouille, which actually means throat. And when you look at cathedrals, particularly in the Gothic era and the High Middle Ages, cathedrals are all decorated with gargoyles who look pretty frightening. But the point of a gargoyle was to scare off evil spirits. Samhain, the forerunner of Halloween, Halloween yep. uh, the harvest time at the end of October, people in the Celtic regions of northern France and the British Isles, what they would do is they would carve frightening faces in turnips to scare away evil spirits at night. And then young men would dress up in animal skins and they'd put like animal type masks with horns on them to go scare away spirits. They'd be banging on pots and pans. And people would thank them by giving them little sweet cakes. Ever wonder where trick or treat comes from? Mm. And so it was believed that the veil between this world and the world beyond grew thinner at the harvest time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Halloween, uh, so first it was Samhain, but then as the Roman Empire and Christianity seeped into the Celtic areas, November 1st is All Saints Day. November 2nd is All Souls Day. Souls Day. And saints are known as Hallows, and the day before was known as All Hallows, All Saints Eve. But people believed that on All Hallows Eve, demons would walk the earth, and that's why the people in the Celtic belief system would don these scary masks and carve the turnips, which when Europeans came to America, oh, there was pumpkins, so those are bigger, and they could carve faces into those. So for thousands of years, people have reported these animal-human hybrid-type creatures that are not always visible in plain sight. You either see them out of your peripheral vision or people get some type of uh, spiritual connection to them. So on one hand, we can say that this is a bunch of hogwash. On the other, why is this type of entity prevalent all over the globe? So I want to add something, because again, there's multiple things that just stimulated some things that are relevant here. So your last name, at least, Anthony, there's a apocryphal story but apparently saint jerome claims no it was real where saint anthony in the desert encountered what appeared to be a satyr yes. and and apparently that satyr had died or something like that or a different satyr had died and had been taken to antioch and shown to a roman emperor as if it were real now you know it, it's hard to confirm stories like that but these things to your point are rife in accounts in human history, whether real, apocryphal, or whatnot. So with that, let's take a step back and talk about night vision. Where'd it come from? How does it work? And how does it 
end up being into this red light demon story. Night vision goggles have a very fascinating history. And in the early 20th century, Walter Kilner developed Kilner screens. And decenin or dissenin dye, it's a red dye put between two plates of glass, have been used for some years in stellar photography. Yeah, you know, it's the end of the, the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, and astronomers are now taking pictures of the heavens and they have telescopes and they're hooking up cameras. And they found that using cameras equipped with the decene and dye was giving them a broader spectrum of things to look at, you know, things that weren't so visible by the naked eye. Well, then Walter Kilner developed these goggles called Kilner screens, and they had the red decene and dye. And he believed that, and he actually wrote a paper about this, which I've read, that this enabled people to see auras and spirits, which heretofore only psychics could see. And so this was looked at, he, he was all excited, and when he put out his paper, of course, the scientific community really clobbered him on this, and he mm -hmm. lost all credibility, but I think that that's actually relatively unfair that they did that, because then, a couple decades later, a Hungarian scientist started developing the decene and die goggles for night vision, and then the a German engineering firm, AEG, picked up on this, and voila, the Wehrmacht, Hitler's military, had night vision capability at the beginning of World War II. And that's one of the many things that gave them such a huge technological edge at the beginning of the war over the British, the French, and then, of course, the Russians. Meanwhile, in the United States... Our military was observing all this, and the U.S. military developed sniper scope, which was also based on using the red night vision goggles. There's two types of night vision goggles, thermal imaging and image enhancement. And mm -hmm. then there's the green and the red. Let me start with the red first. Red is a fascinating color. And it has a lot of health benefits on the optic nerve. In fact, it's being used in clinical conditions to reduce inflammation for diabetic retinopathy and other people with vision problems. And, and I'm not telling anyone to do this. You only do this under a doctor's supervision. But red light therapy can actually reduce, when you're looking at the red light, reduce the strain and stress in your eyes. Now, the other thing about red light is when red light goggles are employed, the switch from day vision to night vision is seamless for the human eye. And in other words, the human eye doesn't have to go through all these processes to convert from the ability to see daylight to nightlight. Also, it's been proven in clinical conditions that red light increases spatial awareness and mental acuity. And like I said, it helps with diabetic retinopathy by increasing the amount of an adenine triphosphate, ATP, in your eyes. Long story short, red night vision goggles actually give your eyes cellular energy. So it was a definite choice. Now, green night vision goggles, fascinating too, because... The human eye can see more shades of green than any other color. 
In fact, we see something like a million different shades of green. Scientists theorize this is an evolutionary thing. Think about it. Our ancestors were hunter-gatherers. So they're plowing around on plains or going through forests. And not only do they need to see, oh, there's an apple I want to pick, but you also got to notice the jaguar in the tree (laughs) get ready to jump on you. So the human eye is the most adept at seeing green. Also, green provides very little stress. It's very soothing on the human eye. And so with these night vision goggles, it's not so much that you're seeing green. It gives a green background that you're able to identify these things. Now, whether it's red or green, there's two different types, thermal enhancement and image enhancement. Thermal enhancement detects heat. And from our mutual friend, Colonel Dr. John Alexander, he was explaining that In military combat, they prefer to use the thermal imaging during the daytime because you could scan an area and pick out heat signatures to avoid being ambushed. I know from my work as a prosecutor and criminal defense attorney that when law enforcement is searching for dead bodies, they will generally fly over, I guess now they're using drones, but traditionally helicopters, and they would scan with infrared the thermal imaging looking for decomposing bodies, which give off more heat. But the night vision goggles that we're going to be talking about, or we are talking about, are the image enhancement. Now, image enhancement takes the light particles known as photons, converts them into electrons, sends them through an image intensifier tube, which then projects it to the eyepiece in a form that the human eye can see. And both red and green night vision goggles employ the image intensifier technology. So I hope that, I know it was a bit long, but I hope that answers your question. And just at different wavelengths, basically, right? Where you know, the, the, they would convert it to a higher wavelength for red. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's extremely important. Electromagnetic <laughs> energy. And I write a lot about this in my books, particularly my latest book, The Afterlife Frequency, because I refer to our soul as the electromagnetic soul, because what we are is electromagnetic energy. And we know from quantum physics that everything is made of molecules, which in turn are made of atoms, which in turn are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, which in turn are made of the smallest particle of energy, a quantum. That's where the term quantum physics comes from. And for our physics friends, electrons are technically a quantum because an electron is one eighteen hundredth the size of a proton. What does that Mm -hmm. mean? It means everything from the subatomic level on up is composed of the same form of electromagnetic energy. And it's just that everything has a different vibration. The only form of electromagnetic energy visible to the human eye is white light. And to think of the white light spectrum, think of a rainbow. And the shortest wavelengths with the highest frequency is violet, then there's blue, then green, yellow, orange, and then red. Red has the slowest wavelength, the lowest amount of energy, and infrared is the electromagnetic field beyond the visible spectrum. Infrared literally means before red. So when we're using red night vision goggles, we're going to slowest wavelengths 
and peering even beyond the visible light spectrum into the infrared spectrum. And then with green, we're dealing with a mid-range frequency, which is enabling us to see into different aspects of the electromagnetic spectrum. Right, which is exactly why it would be in the middle of our visual spectrum, because we were evolved to be around forested environments and things like that. I mean, this goes a little bit off track, but what about people who are red, green, colorblind? So what I've heard is there's a disadvantage, an evolutionary disadvantage to some extent, but I know folks whose father fought in Vietnam, things like that, and they would typically choose people who had red, green colorblindness because they could see texture better as a result of that. So they could see better people in camouflage. Have you heard things like that that have anything to do with? Yeah, that one I'm not familiar with. Let's talk for a minute about the structure of the eye. In the retina, we have two structures, cones and rods. Mm -hmm. Cones are for daytime vision. They see color, detail. Rods on the periphery detect light. And so the way to understand this, have you ever tried to look at a comet at night? If you try to look at it directly, it's very difficult to look at. But if you look at it with your peripheral vision, you'll be able to see it. Ever thought you caught a glimpse of a spirit in a mirror or ever get the impression in your peripheral vision there could be a spirit and you turn and the person vanishes? The thing is, the spirit didn't vanish. The spirit in the mirror didn't vanish. It's that with the cones, they don't pick up the subtle light patterns that the peripheral vision does. And so astronomers have developed a technique known as averted vision. So when viewing comets, instead of looking at it directly, you look at a comet with your peripheral vision and you'll be able to see it better. And that's why when I work with paranormal investigations, I teach people when you feel that there's a spirit looking at, you know, we all have the compulsion. I got to go look at it. And as soon as you turn, oh, it vanished, but it didn't. So if you feel there's a spirit near you, try to observe the spirit with your peripheral vision. Now, the cones see color. The rods don't. So how are ghosts and spirits been depicted in art and literature for thousands of years? Gray, foggy. Why? Because when people have seen them, it is with their peripheral vision as opposed mm -hmm. to their daytime vision. And this is very important in paranormal investigations is to keep this focus there. This is also comes into seeing auras, and we can talk about that later on. But all of these factors come into night vision, because what is the point of night vision is to enhance and intensify what we're capable of seeing. Now, we have three different types of cones, red, blue, and green in our eyes. That enables us to see that. However, there is a genetic anomaly of people, only women, because of the XX chromosomes, that have a fourth cone that sees yellow-green light. The normal human eye can see one million different colors, but the women with this genetic anomaly are called tetrachromats because they have four cones. They can see, get this, Sean, 100 million different colors. And I always think that, you know, when you're with a woman and she's like, 
oh, does this color look good? And guys are like, oh, whatever. You know, the thing <laughs> is, a lot of tetrachromats, they don't even know that they have this ability. Why would they? Because that's just the way they see colors. So when you right. get, yeah, when you're involved with women that are really good with color, design, and, and all that, they may actually be tetrachromats, and they have this added ability, just like what you were asking about, people that have the red green yeah maybe they don't see the color they're not getting the conflict between the two colors instead they're seeing textures and movements so right. dealing with life in general and certainly with the paranormal we are focusing a lot on perception and there's things that give people different ways of perceiving things and then with the night vision goggles we're using technology to enhance the human eye's ability to perceive that which is normally not able to be perceived. Okay. So you have the Germans that develop this technology. The U.S. does the same thing. Why did they choose red over green initially? Initially, the decenin dye was used in the red goggles because of the transition from daytime to night vision, and it seemed to increase spatial awareness. It just seemed to be easier on the eyes. Now, the urban legend, okay, and I'm stressing urban because now we're going to get to the red night vision demons. There is a gentleman by the name of Cliff High. and he's been interviewed, and his interview gets a lot of airplay on social media. And what Cliff High said, and I want to put a caveat here. Sean is military. My dad was a Navy SEAL. So we have the utmost respect for the military. And this story may be apocryphal. In other words, uh, an urban legend, but at least it's a fascinating story. According to Cliff High, his father was an officer and in Vietnam and was attached to a helicopter squadron. And the U.S. military, and this entire incident took place over a period of 60 days, they issued new red night vision goggles to see and die, and they were image enhancement. And at first, the troops liked them, but then strange things started to happen. The troops began fighting with each other. They became quarrelsome. They were constantly fixated on staring at treetops. Then the pivotal incident, according to Mr. High, his dad was with a um, couple helicopters, squadron helicopters. The officers and the pilots, according to High, were under strict orders not to wear these red vision goggles, only the gunners. So there they are. They're flying at night over an area that was peaceful. So they were not in a war zone. And suddenly, one of the gunners opened fire. And he opened fire not at the ground or not at something higher, but on the same level. And he started screaming, the monsters, the monsters. And, of course, the other choppers had to engage in evasive maneuvers. And Pai's father ordered him to cease fire. And he figured the kid was strung out on heroin because it was Vietnam and there was a big drug problem. And he said, take those things off. And the kid kept saying, they can see me. There's devils. And so the the officer put them on and also goes, holy, you know, you can fill in the blank there. Hoarding to this officer... Once again, this is a hearsay account. What he saw were these humanoid creatures with grotesque faces and horns and wings that looked very much like gargoyles. And the thing is, the reason 
the young soldier, the gunner, was firing at them is once he put the goggles on, these creatures realized he could see them. And according to what High said, there were other reports of as soon as people put these goggles on, they would see these creatures who realized they were visible to the soldiers. And then supposedly after 60 days, all the goggles were confiscated by the army and that's the last anyone's heard of them. Now I've conducted a fair amount of research trying to find any papers. I did find a report issued by the US military during the Vietnam War about night vision technology, but there were no mention of red night vision goggles or decene and die. So with all respect to our Vietnam veterans in the U.S. military, that leaves us with the possibility that, number one, this is apocryphal, meaning it's just a story. Number two, Mm -hmm. it did happen, but it was with such a limited amount of people and it was hush-hush. Or number three, it is a mixture of the two. Did it happen? Did they see something? But I've had a number of veterans, including Colonel Dr. John Alexander, who was in Vietnam and Special Forces, and he said he never heard of this. But there's other people who have gotten the early Dacine and Die Tilner screens. Okay, there they date from the early, I think the 1920s, and they do use them in paranormal investigation. So there's certainly the possibility that these night vision goggles which expand the human eye's ability to perceive into the infrared spectrum may be detecting, may enable us to detect some form of entity that is normally not visible to the human eye. Okay, a few questions, because I definitely want to follow up on what we think, if true, what we think these entities could be. But before we go there, do you have a sense for what unit this may have been i tried to find that and i couldn't all they said was helicopter they didn't say if it was air force army or marines because being a lawyer that's one of the things i want to find out the who what when Mm -hmm. where how and why i also couldn't find the year because that would be very important to know because especially if this officer felt that the gunner was tweaking on heroin because there would have been less drug usage at the early 1960s, but by the mid to late 60s, the heroin abuse among GIs in Vietnam was definitely an issue the military was dealing with. Do you know broadly when the U.S. military introduced night vision into, was it as early as World War II or was it during yeah, this oh, period yeah. of time? Yeah, the sniper okay. scope came up in World War II. We're using versions of it in the Korean War, and by the Vietnam War, there were the starlight scopes, and I've talked to a number of GIs, they said the starlight scopes, in the words of one GI, they really sucked. And what the starlight (laughs) scopes were, they were supposed to use- Take the light light from the stars. Stars, they said, but it wasn't very good. But the positive and negative of, of war is war tends to accelerate technological advancements. And so I would I would venture to say that the night vision technology at the end of the Vietnam War was considerably more sophisticated than it was at the beginning of the Vietnam War. Okay, and then 
So the one claim that just because one person didn't hear about it is you're not going to be read into every possible program, right? You're just not. So to claim that you're aware of everything is not a strong argument. However, it is fair to say this is apocryphal because we don't know the unit. We don't know the year. And do we even know the location within Vietnam? No. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I've seen the video of Cliff High and just finding his last name really took some doing because there was like this gentleman named Cliff and he was being interviewed. I'm assuming on a European program because the interviewer sounded like he had either a German or a Swiss accent. Mm-hmm. And then I presented this story on coast to coast AM and wham, all of a sudden the veterans, this is BS and blah, blah, blah. One guy goes, well, I know who Cliff high is. And so I did some searching and Cliff high is apparently a real person. And he is going around claiming that his dad was part of this red night vision goggle thing. And they saw these gargoyle demonic type creatures. And the thing is, because I always make the joke that the Wizard of Oz taught us important lessons, that beautiful people are always good, kind, and honest, and we can trust them, and ugly people are always evil, nasty, terrible, and it's okay to kill them. All right, now, (laughs) obviously, that is absolutely not true. And just because something may have a frightening appearance, we think it's evil. It's a devil. It's a demon. Well, look at the European cathedrals, look at jack-o'-lanterns, look at a lot of symbology. Gargoyles were used or believed to frighten away negative spirits. So maybe if, let's assume for the sake of discussion, these entities did or do exist and they could see us, well, I didn't hear anything in the story how they were attacking the helicopters. It's just that they were aware that people could see them. And maybe they are existing in a parallel dimension, a parallel frequency to us. Now, that may sound odd, but I am a medium. I was born with the ability to perceive spirits. The other side, what I call the afterlife frequency, is not orbiting Alpha Centauri light years away. It is a dimension that runs parallel to us. And people say, well, that sounds ridiculous. And to which I always say, well, what if I told you surrounding you right now are vast amounts of energy in the form of electromagnetic energy? Well, that's ridiculous. I really turn on a radio. Hello? Radio. Or Wi-Fi. Yeah, Wi-Fi. Exactly. So, And that exists in a particular band of electromagnetic energy, And it is my theory, that's why I call our soul the electromagnetic soul, because when we die, the energy field that is housed in our brain, not created by it, is released and becomes part of the collective consciousness. And that's a frequency that I, as a medium, tune into. And I've been studied in laboratories in in many different locations and examined by scientists when I'm reading people and communicating with spirits and some of my colleagues have as well and their conclusion is and this guy can't be making this stuff up okay so if i'm capable of doing that then why would it be inconceivable sean that there are entities beyond our visible perceptive capabilities intelligent or sentient or whatever they are 
It doesn't mean they're evil. And just because they right. look us scary, that doesn't mean they're evil. Well, to your point, I mean, you can take a very simple example of a perfectly natural phenomenon. If you have a fan, right, and you spin the fan at a fast enough rate, which is what the definition of frequency is, the higher the frequency, you, the less you're going to be able to see it because it's moving so fast, right? I mean, I don't know if that's the, a perfect analogy for it, but I think that's one way to think about well, it. Well, it. It is because that's exactly it, you know, and when a fan zipping and it's like, can you start blinking your eyes and all of a sudden it's like the strobe lights, which give me a headache, but strobe lights, it's the same type of thing. And now that we're in the 21st century and we are developing this technology to perceive things beyond the visible. All right, look at a couple hundred years ago. What caused disease? You know, people would get sick, and they thought it was noxious vapors at night. Do you ever see Gone with the Wind and all the southern bells are talking about the vapors, the vapors? Well, people actually believed that at night noxious gases would arise. Other people believed that illness was caused by demonic entities. And then the microscope gets invented. Voila fungus, bacteria, viruses. We start seeing that, okay, it's actually a scientific basis. When you think of what people thought- that, that, Well, that uh, raises another interesting question, right? Uh, I've had a previous guest about this is, again, I don't mean to, I don't want to veer too far off, but if people believe the universe is a simulation, the only reason you saw that, according to quantum mechanics, right? Well, you know, and I should say quantum, that's not, that's not right. Yeah. According to a theory, is that it didn't exist until you looked at it, right? So, yeah. That's a simulation theory, right? Like the simulation is no, only going to render, right? I'm not I, saying I agree with it. I'm just saying it's. No, you know, I, I hear that all the time. And it's like, okay, so dinosaurs didn't exist then why are we finding their skeletons 100 million years after they died? And, of course, evangelicals, well, no, they're only 5,000 years old and they're on the ark. Right. Well, then why aren't they still here? Anyway, but we have to be respectful of other people's ideas about right. reality only exists if you're there to observe it. I disagree with that. I don't believe in the I think, therefore I am. It's like I am, therefore I think. You know, so there's this Cartesian mm -hmm. duality that a lot of people engage in. You know, it's like cogito ergo sum, something like that. Yeah. Descartes. And, and, yeah. yeah. And my next point was going to be when you read about what people thought the stars were before the invention of the telescope, they yeah, were the firmament and <laughs> yeah, holes in the fabric of heaven. And see, all the stars basically moved in the same direction except for five of them. And they were named after Greek gods, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And they were called the wandering stars because they rose in a different direction. And then they would engage in retrograde where they would stop and look like they're going backwards and all this. Well, those are the planets. And retrograde, you know, and, and it's all the astrology. Oh, my God, Mercury's in retrograde. Well, yeah, it happens every 88 days because Mercury's orbit around the sun, a year on Mercury is 88 days versus mm -hmm. our 365. So we're moving at different rates or speeds around the sun. And so we see like sometimes we're ahead of it, sometimes we're behind it. And it gives the impression that Mercury is changing its pattern, but it isn't. And Mars goes in retrograde, Saturn, Jupiter, they all do. 
And so before that, there was all these really bizarre theories. And now it's like, oh, wow, there are other suns, there are other planets, there are other things out there. So we just doubled the age of the universe in like the last three months. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it was a Hubble. Okay. Sorry. I, I want to get back on track. So these entities, if this apocryphal story is true, we started going into this protective spirits, gargoyle type fairies, sprites, etc. What do you think they are? I think they are elementals. And elementals are non-human spiritual entities. Now, once again, I know this sounds bizarre, but people have been interfacing with them for thousands of years. And the reason they're called elements is because they're thought to be aligned with nature as opposed to humans. Air, earth, water, fire. And I've been at locations where people say, oh, there's fairies there. I was in England and I was in this forest and somebody said there's fairies here and all of a sudden i felt the energy and it's like this is a spirit but it wasn't a human spirit and then when i was in hawaii i encountered the matahune when i was in japan i encountered the kami and a really fascinating thing happened when i was at the stanley hotel in estes park colorado mm-hmm. and yeah you're familiar with that i'm sure most of your audience the haunted, is- the haunted hotel and they filmed Oh, the Jack the, Nicholson the shiny, movie, the Stephen King and, movie, Shining. Dumb, yeah. yeah, Dumb and Dumber was filmed there, and apparently Jim Carrey flipped out and, and all this, and, you know, I love Jim Carrey. But I was in the tunnel beneath the Stanley because there was a conference there. I was one of the speakers, and so they had about maybe a dozen or so ghost hunters there, and they set up detection equipment in about 12 different locations, And so when I was down the tunnel with maybe 15 people, all of a sudden, all the K2 meters, the EMF, everything went off the charts. And it was funny because we're all looking at the equipment and my manager, Rocky, she's awesome. She travels with me. And she said, every horror movie I've ever seen, people are in a cave and they're all looking one direction and the monster comes up and she turns around. She goes, oh, my God. And we turn around and everyone goes, oh, my God. And at the far end of the cavern, there was this green undulating light. It was like a greenish silver color. And it was moving along the wall of the cave, almost like a a giant eel. You know, and I'm looking for, okay, somebody's got to be projecting that. Well, this guy that was with us, he goes, I'm in Disney special effects. He goes, and this is not being projected. He goes, we can't do this. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm going to walk into it because here I am, the medium, you know, the famous, <laughs> you know walking towards famous it. last words. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. you know. And, yeah. and then I felt my mother's spirit with me and she goes, oh, Mark, it's fine. And I thought, OK, mom's here, you know. So I walked into this and all these people are like, don't do this, Mark. You know? And all of a sudden I felt this was a female entity. And then it shifted shape like the inside of a lava lamp, and then it surrounded the paranormal investigator. And he goes, it's engulfing me. I go, first off, she is examining you. He goes, why is she examining me? I go, she wants to know why you're examining her. He goes, I never thought of that. And what the message I got from her, and it was the same sensation I had in England and Japan and all these other places. I go, this is an elemental. This is an entity 
that's spiritual, it's intelligent, it isn't particularly fascinated or interested with humans, but is curious why humans are always trying to find out about her. And then the, this entity like pixelated and disappeared. And then of course, everybody there is like, that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, you know, for these people that went on this paranormal investigation, and that was a real treat. And it is one of the most profound, profound supernatural things I've seen because it actually manifested for us. And so I think that these entities be it from ancient Egypt or the Greco-Romans or the Hindus or Native Americans or what have you, we've been encountering non-human spiritual intelligence like elementals, and because it's alien to us and people fear the unknown, we immediately demonize it. And so that's what I think they are. So these, what you call elementals, are they similar to the Roman concept, ancient Roman concept of genius loci, so like the spirit of a place, or are they still independent from the place, or are they kind of tied to it? Because you know what I'm talking about, like you, you'll go to a place, yeah. I have a friend who grew up in Alaska, he's actually a really great, great writer, I've interviewed him on the channel, and he used to, I think he did the Iditarod and things like that, but in Alaska, in remote Alaska, there are certain places that he would tell me that when you're there, you can feel that that place wants to kill you. Like, you do not belong there. So, I mean, that's a little darker tinge of some of this, but I don't know if they, if there could, you know, good, evil, or what. Yeah, you know, once again, the thought of it wants to kill you, perhaps they just don't want us there. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there, I'm sure there's somebody out there, but I've yet to discover a spirit that killed somebody. Okay, maybe it can scare you and maybe you get a heart attack, but... Yeah, I think it's actually more accurate to say that you just get this distinct sense that you are not wanted there. Yeah, you're not, not wanted killed, there. but yeah. And that's what I found with elementals. They're not particularly concerned with humans, whereas like human spirits in what you would call the angelic realm are. And so what people have to keep in mind is in the spirit world, there's a lot of entities there that are of non-human origin. I mean, animal spirits, I've communicated with all types of animals that have come through. Angels will make contact. I've interfaced with elementals. The primary focus of my work is connecting people in our world with their loved ones and spirit, because that's my work is to help people heal or assist them on their healing journey through grief. But occasionally you encounter these non-human entities. People ask me all the time, are there evil spirits? I've done over 15,000 readings. I have not encountered hell, demons, devils, because once again, you encounter a non-human spiritual intelligence. People fear the unknown. And when you <laughs> fear something, you tend to depict it or portray it as evil. And I don't want to offend anybody's beliefs because I know there's people who actually believe in the existence of hell and all that, which I do not. And all the spirits I talk about, you know, there's no hell. There is reincarnation. Okay. They all mm -hmm. say there's reincarnation. So be nice, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you're going to come back and. Yeah. You could come back as a grasshopper. You know, right. But, yeah. Yeah. What you're going to do. But I, I don't think that elementals are evil, but I do also think that some of them, they don't want you there. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you're sitting in your living room watching TV. Do you want a whole group of people you don't know and don't like come in and start building a campfire in your living room? Of course not. Right, right. Okay, so in terms of the red light demons, even though I think we've determined that they're probably not. Demons more of an appealing word than the red light entities, you know. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's a much better marketing term. So any final words on this story? And is Cliff High still around? Is it H-I-G-H? Is is that how you spell it? As far as I know, he is still around. I welcome the opportunity to have a discussion with him and find out more details. Like you said, when did this happen? Where did this happen? Is there any right, what unit? Right, right. All right. Any final words about red light demons? Yes. The question is, if this happened, was it a hallucination? There is something known as the Gansfeld effect. And the Gansfeld effect in the, I believe it was in the 1930s, a German psychologist, Wolfgang Metzger, introduced the Gansfeld effect. And, and in clinical conditions, they put these coverings over your eyes that projected red light, but it was a stable red light field. You'd be laying down, no ambient sound. And it's a lot like the sensory deprivation tanks where people go into themselves. And what happens is when you deprive your senses of stimuli, your brain begins to fill in the blanks. And there can be hallucinations. There can be all types of visual and auditory hallucinations. So it's been suggested that if the red light demon story in Vietnam is true, that it could have been the Gansfeld effect. The problem I have with that is the Gansfeld effect works just fine in clinical conditions, but if you're in a helicopter and, you know, there's all sorts of stimuli and the light isn't stable, it's flashing all over the place. Plus, from what Cliff High said, the soldiers saw these things, but they didn't hear anything from them. So Mm. if it's a hallucination and in Gansfeld you get both visual and auditory hallucinations, why were they only getting visual? So I think that that kind of shoots more holes in in this story. Yeah, plus if you're in a helicopter, you're not going to hear anything outside of that. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're you're a military. I'm sure you've been in more. I mean, I've been in a number of helicopters, but you've been in more. It's like, (laughs) I mean, that's all you really hear. You know, and everyone's got the headphones and that, you know, we're all talking to each other. I was part of a project in Hawaii in 2018 when Kilauea was in full eruption mode. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my manager, Rocky, got me on the same helicopter that Nat Geo uses. It's like, you know, real thin and, you know, the big fat tourist helicopters are one thing, but this thing and the the guy flying it, he was the coolest, coolest pilot. And we were flying around Kilauea in full eruption mode. And that was fantastic. And I remember saying, can we fly over the caldera? And the pilot goes, only if you want to get incinerated. We're like, whoa. So we're at 3000 feet and we opened up the door so we could film it and the heat because the lava was 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and it was incredible. And you know, when you're talking about elementals, I was there filming a project, and they said, well, what do you feel, Mark? And at first, I'm thinking, well, this is just a volcano. And then I thought, I am feeling something. And I know that they believe it's the goddess Pele, but to me, Mm -hmm. I felt an energy there, and it felt like the pain of childbirth. And it also felt like an anger of desecration, which was fascinating because the lava flow took out a fracking plant 
and it took out all these people that had built around there. And it felt to me that there was some form of consciousness there that was giving birth. And of course, lava flow, when I was there, just in that eruption, the big island in Hawaii increased in size by a couple square miles. And since mm -hmm. then, it's simmered down a bit. But talk about elementals, that was like, <laughs> to paraphrase the Hawaiians, the big kahuna. <laughs> that was something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my friend. It was an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you, Sean. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe, and also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you can get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel. And I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.